Welcome to Our Social Impact, brought to you by the Prison Scholar Fund. The Prison Scholar Fund's mission is to provide education and employment assistance to help currently and formerly incarcerated people succeed and thrive in society while avoiding homelessness and the revolving door of reincarceration. The PSF also advocates for reform in correctional education to increase opportunity for all. As a nonprofit, we rely on investments, volunteers, and are always looking for board members to champion our mission. Please connect with us through our website at prisonscholars.org, where you can find volunteer opportunities, make a contribution, and learn about becoming a board member. You can also email us at info at prisonscholars.org and find us through most social media platforms at Prison Scholars. Become a patron by supporting us directly at Patreon with at Prison Scholars. We appreciate your review of this podcast through whatever platform you listen through. Without further ado, here's Dirk Van Velsen, founder and CEO of the Prison Scholar Fund. Thanks for joining me for our social impact. It's a pleasure to be here. And this is Robert Wood, our first MBA student. Very cool. And I am so happy that the Prison Scholar Fund was available to me to actually get the funding for me to begin my MBA degree. That was a really big deal to me. There was no place else to find it. So now, of course, I know your whole story. So why don't you tell everybody else your you know educational journey? And you also got out quite a bit early for prison, so we can kind of jump in on that, too. Okay, well, we'll, we'll mend the two. Yeah. So we'll start off with the educational journey. In 2002, I was sentenced to 25 years for a drug conspiracy. When I got to prison, I decided that it was time for me to change my life and do some things different. That started off as a volunteer tutor, and then I began teaching a screenwriting class. That was in Terminal Island. And even just to jump back in on your, your conviction, that was for crack cocaine, right? Yeah, that was for crack cocaine. At and, the time, and of course, nowadays we know that there's kind of unjust sentencing laws around that. And they kind of undid some of that, but that's what they got you for initially. Yes, it was. And at the time that they sentenced me for crack cocaine, it was actually 100 to 1 over powder cocaine as far as the sentencing. So one gram of crack cocaine equaled 100 grams of powder cocaine. To put it in an even deeper perspective, um, 10, grams, 10 grams of crack cocaine equaled you know, excuse me, yeah, 10 kilos of crack cocaine equaled like a thousand kilos of powder. No kidding. So it was, it was crazy. But it's basically the same chemical. But like, what do they add to crack cocaine to make it crack? Like baking soda or something? Usually water and baking soda. The things they add to it actually makes the drug a weaker, more impure, impure form. It only allows it to be inhaled instead of snorted or shot gotcha that's why you have to cook it or whatever yeah there's actually no difference in the drug the difference in the drug is the people that use the drug and the people that sell the drug gotcha all right so that that comes to play later when you get out of prison so you get to while you're in there you're doing tutoring mentoring yeah i'm doing tutoring i'm, I'm, I'm teaching public i'm teaching initially screenwriting i am tutoring people that are taking their GED tests. I'm tutoring people that are in college, even though I haven't been to college yet because I took some advanced high school courses. I'm able to do that. I leave Terminal Island after about three months because they're closing that down. Not closing it down, but they're turning it into a low security institution instead of a medium. So everybody with medium security 
are getting management variables to go to high security. And I end up in Lompoc. When I get to Lompoc, I see a friend of a friend. He gets me in Unicorn Industries, which is the factory in there where they make stuff. And they have some scholarship funding. It's like a 75% scholarship. You pay 25%. They pay 75%. And that was okay to pay for the books for my associate's degree. But then once I got into the bachelor's degree realm, they're, 20, they're 75% only when it's $300. Now, did you still have the, the California Board of Governors waiver for your tuition? Or did that not count because you're federal? No, the California Board of Governors waiver was only good in the state of California for junior college. So just so for an associate's degree. degree. Okay. So once, once you get to the university level... That's not available anymore. Gotcha. And of course, you max that out, then you're kind of ran out of gas. Yeah. Yeah. So now I've graduated with honors. I've earned my associate's degree. And the librarian asked, well, what are you going to do now? I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do? I now earned my associate's degree. There's nothing else I can do. And she says her name was Miss Mangania or it was Mrs. Zapata at the time. Now she's Miss Mangania up there in Lompoc. She says, well, you can go for your bachelor's degree. I said, no, I can't. Why not? I don't have the money. So she says, we'll find you a scholarship. So, so she's start, the one, huh? She's the one that sniffed it out? She's the one who sniffed it out. Right on. So I go to the library and we start looking for scholarships. She starts telling me, fill this out. Fill that one out. Apply to these people. So she's finding them, you know, online. And she's giving me the information. I'm filling out the applications. And she's helping me with some of the applications. Everybody's coming back. No, no. Some aren't even answering. Yeah, it's so hard because we're competing. You know, as incarcerated people, we're competing against like maybe a single mom with three who is working four jobs. You know, it's much more sympathetic. So yeah. we're definitely not getting it. We don't have a sympathetic audience when you're incarcerated. People don't look at it as you're trying to change your life like you would think they would in a lot of instances. And still, it seems that they look at it as I'm not going to give money to these criminals. Right. Rather than saying, I'm going to give money so that these people will have an alternate way of living, an alternate way of earning income, and they can leave the criminality behind them, all they see is who you are now, who you were when you went in. They don't see that you're a person trying to make change. And so the Prison Scholar Fund saw that. Eventually, after maybe a month and a half of putting in for different scholarships and hearing no, 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 some of them I put in three or four times, they just wouldn't even answer me. I mean, wouldn't yeah. answer me. That was that I, hurt. Yeah, I think I applied, like, before my dad started paying for mine, I think I applied for 50 or 60. Like, anyone I could find, I would apply for. Of course, just like you, no, no, no. Most of them would never respond. And so, I won't say that our organization, the Prisoner Scholar Fund, is the only organization that funds prisoner education. But I will say, after an extensive search, it's the only one that I know of. You hear other people talk about doing things for prisoner education dirt, and you think that they're organizations that fund them. And I need to say this because I, it irks me <laughs> that the public believes that a lot of these organizations who just come into the prison and talk to you about attending college and give you information on financial aid are really supporting college education for prisoners. They're not. I hear that so many times. It's funny, I'll be at a conference and someone will introduce me to somebody else. They go, oh, you got to meet, meet this guy. He does prisoner education. And I'll start talking to him. And like, okay, so what exactly do you do? Oh, you pass out brochures? <laughs> that's kind of what they do. And that's usually what they do. They come into yeah. the prison. 
They pass out brochures. They promise you when you get out, you can get some help. Fill out the FAFSA. We'll help you fill out the FAFSA. Yeah. And when you get out, the help that they offer you is widely available. Yeah. They're not offering you any really new yeah. help. You can go up to the college campus and get it. So it's just they, a way for them to make money. Yeah, I they, hate to say yeah. that, but that's what it is. Yeah, like they, 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 Their argument is we're connecting them to resources. Okay, I guess that's valid, but you know, it's not that hard either. Well, for me, Dirk, if those organizations want to connect people to a resource who are doing time, what they should maybe do is take their money, funnel some of it into the Prison Scholar Fund, and then let you guys do what you, what you do best, or should I say what we do best, because I'm a board member myself. Yeah, you're part disperse of it. Member, disperse money to people who are in prison, who want education, who want to change their life, and allow them to have that money or allow the colleges to have that money so people can take courses and buy books and buy study materials and calculators and the things that they need. That's the work that we're doing at the Prison Scholar Fund. That's why when you asked me to join the board of directors, I didn't bat an eye. When you said we need somebody to write social media stuff, we need somebody to do marketing stuff, I was like, I'm there because I am so impressed with the organization. They're not faking. The majority of the money goes back into the student when I get ready to take a class, like an MBA class, okay? Let's just take that for instance. So how crazy is that? You're pursuing your MBA from prison. How's that feel? That's crazy. And for I'm somebody gonna, to be willing yeah. to pay $1,000 or better a course yeah. and then go back and pay six, $700 for books, that's even crazier. Yeah. But I'm supposed to believe I'm getting help from somebody telling me, well, when you get out, if you want to seek education, I'll show you how to fill out the FOSFA. Yeah. There's a big difference. I'm glad I found you guys and not one of oh, those organizations. Oh, so when you did find us, do you have any idea that we were evaluating your application from prison? No, I had no idea. That was one of the other things that really impressed me. When I actually turned in my application, got it back, got the funding, and decided to call the number one day because I'm a real outgoing person. Let me call the number and introduce myself. I asked for, for dirt and stood Ted answers the phone, so I'm like, who's Ted? <laughs> well, I'm Dirk's dad. Dirk is incarcerated right now, but we got you. Yeah, I was in Arizona. At and a I'm CCA. like, wow. Yeah. I'm shocked. Totally shocked. I mean, it, it just blew me away. That's the way we do it. Yeah, but I loved it, though. Yeah. It was innovative. It was whole and next it, page. And speaking of social media, you've been tweeting for us for years. Do you have any idea how many tweets you've written? It's got to be in the hundreds, or it, maybe it, a thousand. It's definitely in the hundreds. I think it's approaching a thousand. Yes, yeah, because we have it on a Google Sheet, and it's pages and pages and pages and pages of tweets. So thank you. We've been tweeting for you, I with appreciate you for years. It. I appreciate it. And, and, and the opportunity to put those tweets out there and have it affect people's lives the way it affects them. I'd like to take one every day of the year and just put them on social media, just put them out there again like fresh. You can put them on my page. You can put them on your page. We can ask people to retweet them and just put them out there and just give them to the public. You know, like a gift. This is giving season. That's something that we can give Definitely. from the Prison Scholar Fund because those tweets inspired a lot of people in my family. They inspired people that were incarcerated with me. Those tweets, believe it or not, actually inspired a lot of correctional officers. <laughs> I had a lot of correctional officers who would tell me, hey, I go to the Prison Scholar Fund. And I read your tweets and I read your blog. No kidding. Yeah. And it was impressive to me. Like, I actually read this stuff and I really like what you're doing. And so, it inspired me. So you got different feedback than Jenny Iredale did. Did you listen to her podcast? No. Uh -uh. So you got to listen to her podcast. I saw, because... I saw I saw, it on there, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because I was so, so I, won't, I won't ruin the story or I'll ruin the story a little bit. She, she was tweeting to from prison 
the guards found out about it and they threw her in the hole because they thought she had a cell phone. It was a whole big explosion. They're digging up the yard, digging up plants. They're looking for the cell phone. Wow. And she's trying to explain it to him. No, I send Dirk the tweets through the JPEG kiosk. Yeah. And of course, they, they listen to her and go, oh, sure, go back in the hole. And they just dig up the yard. They're looking for the cell phone. Well, I, I, I guess I had different feedback than her. Yeah, sounds because like the it. thing for me, for my tweets, was like, wow, these are amazing. Where are more at? And I would go to prisonscholars.org. Be sure to tell your friends and family about them. We primarily raise money for people who are incarcerated to go to college. But a secondary mission of ours is to encourage everybody, anybody, to seek education and seek knowledge. And that's what the tweets in the blog are about. Yeah, so kind of tell me your, uh, how it went from you're writing the screenplays, you're doing the tutoring, you found the scholarship. At this point, you had just finished your associates and you start, because I know we didn't fund all of your bachelor's, so you had some, some support in there somewhere, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I, I had, uh, at one point, I guess when your dad had got really sick or whatever with his sciatic nerve hurting a lot, when prison scholar fund had slowed down for a minute. Yeah, plus I was in Arizona, they moved me to a different prison where I couldn't write grants anymore. And the economy crashed around, you know, 07. So kind of from 07 to 09 is really tough. Well, it was tough, but actually during that period, you guys were funding me. And the funding slowed down around, I want to say, 2010, 2011. Yeah, that's when I got, I moved back to Washington in 2009. I couldn't really write grants yeah. anymore. And we ran out of the rest of the money we had. So and we just then, kind of on pause for a while. I had a good friend named Tanya Faou, and what she did is because of my writing, there was a play that she was doing at Community Actors Theater out here in San Diego, and my nephew was going to be in it. My, I have a nephew named Osiris. It's actually his birthday today. Shout out to Osiris. He turned 18 today. Right on. And when Osiris was going to be in that screenplay, he's over there practicing, getting ready for it. And he tells me, oh, I'm over here getting ready for the screenplay with Tanya. Well, my sister had told me about her. And so, long story short, I got to talking to her on the phone, told my nephew to hand her the phone. And when we got to talking, she said, well, with all that you've done, I think you need to finish your bachelor's degree. I said, well, I will. Some money will become available somehow. God will make a way for me, and I'll finish my bachelor's degree. Well, I think you need to finish it now. Um... Tanya, I don't actually have the money right now, but I do plan on finishing, maybe when I get out. Talked for a little while more. She brung it up two more times. And I said, I don't think you understand. For some reason, it's not resonating with you. I don't have the money. And she told me, I don't think you understand. For some reason, it's not resonating with you. I'll pay for it. <laughs> nice. And so that was... It, take, it takes a village, man. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that filled in the gap for a while. And then by the time I got to my MBA degree, Prison Scholars was... Back in the house. Back in cooking. Yeah. And that's what, why it's so crazy. Like, we, you got your bachelor's. We got your uh, a photocopy of your degree, which is super cool. And it's like, hey, you want to keep going? <laughs> I think you asked us. or some, I don't know how yeah. the conversation started. But well, somehow you know, MBA was, came up. I, I, was, I had the feeling I was going to get out because I had an appeal going. And this was before the first step act. Yeah, I remember I the appeal. I got out on. I had an appeal going based on the drugs minus two. And my appeal based on the drugs minus two wasn't as successful as I thought it would be. And I really was hyped up about it because I'm talking to you about the drugs minus two. I have a friend named Angelos Weldon I'm talking to about the drugs minus two. Then I, he puts me in touch with Lewis Reed at Dream Corpse Cut 50. I'm talking to him about drugs minus two. 
and it's just sounded like really good. It's going to do everything. It's going to get me out. And then when I finally do do the drugs minus two, instead of it getting me out, my lawyer tells me they'll give you a one point reduction. They won't give you a two point reduction. So I don't know what drugs minus two is. So break it down to me. Like I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about because I don't. So, <laughs> okay, so, so, so what's drugs minus two? So what drugs minus two was, was the law. And the sentencing commission did the sentencing guideline commission. It's called the United States Sentencing Guideline Commission. They came through and they said, you know what? We're going to take two points off all drugs. All drugs. Every drug that you can get a federal sentence for, we're going to reduce the time for it by two points because it's too much time being given out for drugs. Like for every crime, there's like a level, and the drug has a level. Every crime has a level. Yeah, it'll chop off two points from the level. And the two points is going to chop off time, but it's going to depend on where your level is because if you have three years, two points isn't going to chop off as much as if you have 30 years. Gotcha. And so a person with, let's say, five years, two points might knock a year off their time. A person with 25 years, two points might knock 67 months off their time like it was in the process of doing for me. So it made all drugs minus two made a big difference. But because I was considered a career offender at the time that I was sentenced, I was only eligible for a one-point reduction. Gotcha. And so the one-point reduction did put me all the way out. And that was why with the Prison Scholar Fund, I was like... Well, hey, I got some more time, so... Yeah, I yeah. got a little bit more time. I still want to do my MBA at San Diego State University. Let me take the first two courses of the MBA here with you guys, and then I'll transfer to San Diego State when I got out, which I'm in the process of now. And then I got lucky. Then uh, Van Jones, Jared Kushner, Kim Kardashian, you, Angelos Weldon, just all kinds of people, Lewis Reed and those guys, all kinds of people in different positions in the nonprofit world, pushed and pushed and pushed and talked to people in the lobby. And the next thing you know, we got the Second Chance Act. A lot of people didn't think it stood a chance. Van Jones was pushing really hard on CNN. He got Aston Kushner, I believe is his name, President's son-in-law involved. He got Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, uh, Angelos Weldon got involved and brought a lot of stars to the table. Lewis Reed, their executive director, did a lot. You yourself were pushing and going to D.C. because I remember the conversations we had about it. Everybody in the non-government, non-profit sector was pushing for prison reform. And finally, they had the votes. They had the popularity. It looked like it was going to happen. And excuse me. Excuse me, I said Aston Kushner. I meant to say Jared Kushner. Yeah, that's right, Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. Yeah. Excuse me. So, so everybody was pushing for it. And the final question was, is the president going to sign it? And so on the inside, me being incarcerated, everybody was like, that sounds all good, but there's no way that the president is going to sign it. And there's no way that some staunch conservatives are going to go for it, who have opposed sensory reform all the time. Well, guess what? They thought about it. People went and talked to them and lobbied them and explained to them the benefit of it to, to society. And they actually saw the value in it. And when they saw the value in it, they saw the way that it could change lives and change communities. They said, you know what? We'll do it. And the president actually said, you know what? Get it done. I'll sign it.
and it worked. How about that? And when that worked, that worked for me tremendously. I was the first person in the Southern District of California to actually litigate the First Step Act. No kidding. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> worked out okay. Yeah, it worked out pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that was a big deal when I was litigating it was the fact that I had took the time to do a lot of volunteer work. I had took the time to educate myself and that I was disseminating the message of education has a way to change and of changing your worldview to change your life. Because as you know, I always say, once you change your worldview, yeah. you look at the world a different way, you'll never react to it the same way. That's one of the blogs you wrote. Yeah. And so, so, so when you go to court, it's like it wasn't a rubber stamp. You kind of had to argue for release still, right? I still had to argue for release. One of the things that worked really great for me was the Prison Scholar Fund. Nice. I'm glad we had a role. I was able to show the judge, look, this is the work that I'm doing for the public. At that point, I was not yet doing a lot for Cut 50 DreamWorks. I mean, Dream Corps. I was actually a person who was in touch with those guys. And they were just assuring me that, hey, you're going to get out. But I wasn't as involved as I would have liked to have been with them. But I was completely involved and on the board of directors with prison scholars. And I was able to show the judge a body of work that he said, whoa, what you're doing is helping. This is tremendous. This is turning people around. I know you've done some bad things in the past. He said, but looking at the work that you're doing, looking at the education that you did, looking at the way you took the time to help other people where you were incarcerated, you do not need to be warehouse. Further Definitely. time for you would only serve to warehouse you. Unfortunately, that's happening to a lot of people that don't need to be warehouse. This is my judge speaking. And I'm not going to continue to warehouse you. Nice. We're going to let you out. And I want you to continue your work in the community. Yeah, I think there's a difference between, hey, I'm going to get out and pursue my MBA to I'm actually pursuing my MBA now. Let me get out so I can finish it. That may have made a difference. I, mean, I don't know if that made the whole difference, but that's a, a good argument. A, yeah. good, a good point, a good nail in the coffin of getting out. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I actually believe it was. I won't say it was the only thing, but it was part of the whole story. Yeah. was the fact that now I don't just have a dual bachelor's degree. I don't just have two associate's degrees, but I'm actually in the process, process of pursuing my MBA and if you let me out, I can transfer it to San Diego State where I wanted to come from and continue it and complete it. So I when, think that made so, a difference. So when's your first day? I, I'm so jealous. Coming soon. Coming soon. Okay. Coming soon. You, is it fall semester or you get, get in the summer? or Fall. Okay. Nice. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm already part of Project Rebound up there at San Diego State. Okay. A tremendous program that takes people who have been incarcerated and kind of shows them the rope and gives them a community on campus. Yeah, I know Berkeley has uh, underground scholars and Project Rebound. I think a whole lot of universities have little satellite offices. Yeah, and it's a really big deal. I mean, I went up there, checked it out. I'm in touch with the people. They have resources for you, and they have just a, a whole support community. So tell me how Project Rebound works for you guys. The way that Project Rebound works, Dirt, is while you're incarcerated, you usually hear about them then. And then when you get out, you contact them, and they're going to say, come on in. They'll help you fill out your paperwork, your financial aid paperwork. They'll help you fill out any forms you need help with. They'll introduce you around the campus. They'll help you with anything related to college. If they can help you with housing, if they can show you the way, they'll do it. 
and they give you a community that embraces you so that when you're going to college as a person getting out of incarceration, generally you're going to be older than some of the college population and you're not going to be part of a fraternity. You're not going to play football. You're going to get your education. And so that's kind of like your college community and they're there to help and support you. Very cool. They're going to make sure you can get financial aid. They're going to make sure you understand the papers that you need to fill out. Yeah, they really help you through the process. They have events that you can go to. Like recently, they had a hike. I haven't been to any of the events, but I did go take advantage of some of the help, filling out my financial aid forms. And it's just a really great group of people, high energy people. I mean, they're people who were incarcerated and they want to pursue their education. And they're more excited about it than a lot of other people because, you know, like when you're incarcerated and you get out, you're excited about everything in the world. Yeah. And so they see the possibilities of education and what it can mean to their life a lot more intensely than some other people do. Yeah, so, so I know what it's like to just get out of prison. What was it like for you? What was your first, what was the first thing you did? The first thing I did when I got out of prison was looked around. I said, wow, San Diego has changed. My sister came and picked me up with my nephew. She had some fried chicken in the car. Took a bite of fried chicken. That was great because they were coming from some type of football event. And I'm riding along and I'm telling her, yeah, you know, some things change, but I still know how to maneuver. The world <laughs> is still the world. People are still people. She said, Bobby, it changed a lot. You just don't know. I said, Pam, it hasn't changed that much. I know what to do. I know how to maneuver. Don't worry about anything. I've got this. She said, okay. She said, but I'll, I'll help you adapt to the changes. Let me use your phone. <laughs> so she goes and let me use her phone. And I look at it and there's no buttons and I'm confused. Yeah. Okay. How do you use the phone? Been there, done that. She giggles a little bit. We continue to drive and we get deeper into the interior of downtown. And I look around, I see all these new buildings. I don't even recognize the place. And as I'm looking at it, wow, I'm like, wow. It looks like I'm in a whole other city. And she just busted up laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. when I My first phone experience was as a work release. And I got on the wrong bus. And so I was going to be late. If you're five minutes late, you're going to be in trouble. So I was like, oh, shit, I, I got to call the work release people. But nobody wants to let you use their phone. So I'm on the bus asking every person on the bus, can I please make a phone call? And everyone's telling me no, of course. And then finally this one guy, he's like, oh, okay, sure. He hands me his phone. I look at it. <laughs> I have no idea how to use it. So I have to like tell him the number. He types it in. Yeah, the yeah. phone is, when you first, I think anybody who does a lot of time, like when I left the streets, phones had buttons on them yep. still. Yeah. And you couldn't even take a picture with it. Yeah. Much less the stream and video and all that. You couldn't even take yeah. a picture. Facebook was basically for people who uh, went to Stanford or whatever. Yeah, I, ha I had a flip phone. I heard they're coming back. So. <laughs> <laughs> And so everything was just so different. Yeah. The flip phone. That that, that was the last phone I had. Yep. Last yeah. phone I had was a flip phone. Yeah, I fell in 99. When did you fall? I fell in 2002. Okay, yeah. Close enough. Yeah. The last one I had was a flip phone, though. Yep. And so the biggest thing I had to adapt to when I got out was the phone. Because everything that's on the computer, everything that's in place... It's weird, but you can access the whole world through your phone. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, the that's whole pretty world. cool. It's right here on your phone. Like I sit up on, on, on my on my desktop computer, and I'll type articles and do different things. Anything you don't know, just Google it. 
And the only reason I use the desktop to do it is for the keyboard. Yeah. But everything is right here. You, I can do everything I do on any computer pretty much on my phone. And then I had to get, you taught me that actually. Over the phone. <laughs> I was having problems with this different stuff of technology and some stuff my sister couldn't show me. And I, I had to Google. Just Google it. A lot of stuff. Just probably a YouTube video about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, you're cooking. So what's next? You're on the you're what, on the run. What's next is I'm going to be. I wrote a book called Wired and Win the Success Doctrine: How to Succeed in Any Situation While I Was Incarcerated. Yeah, plug your book here. Is and so it, basically, yeah. Oh yeah. Is it is it done yet? Oh, it's done. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's not it's not published, but it's done. Okay, we'll circle back when it's published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely circle back when it's published. And basically, what the book does is it shows people how to use the lessons that I learned and utilized to complete my degrees, to get out with my head still intact and continue to be sane and teach all these different classes and create all these different classes that I did. And just, it teaches them how to be winners. And what I posited in the book is everybody was born wired to win, everything. Everything that was ever created, made, birthed was, it's done so to win. Like you had to fight other sperm to get here. Roses grow through cracks in the concrete. Everything is made to win. And all human beings are wired to win initially. And through external forces and negative feedback and comments, that changes. And so what Wired to Win the Success Doctor posits is that you were born wired to win and we can help you get those winning ways back. And I'm putting that out because I found myself helping so many people while I was incarcerated. And I was thinking, well, with all this business knowledge, what will my first business be? And I got to looking at the blogs and tweets and people were like, you're writing all that for free? I'm like, yeah, to help people. I said, plus the organization is helping me with my college education. They're like, but you write such great stuff. And I thought about it and I said, well, I could write a book <laughs> about what it takes to succeed and maybe that'll help people because I read a lot of self-help books myself while I was incarcerated. Yeah, that's a great title. You're living it. You're definitely wired to win. Thank you. You are too. Thank you. So thanks for joining me. We'll follow up next time and maybe at Google. We'll drag you up to YouTube and do a podcast up there. I would love that. All right, Bobby. Thanks so much for your time. And thanks for your time. Thanks for coming out to San Diego. I hope you enjoy America's finest city while you're here. Oh, I love it here. Great city. Yeah. What did you think about the drive? Oh, piece of cake. Yeah, flying over, you saw all the water and... Yeah, we, we opened the windows kind of at the end. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was watching a really bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Bobby. Great. Thanks for joining me. All right, it's been great. Thanks time. a lot, man. Right. And thanks for the funding. Yeah, you're welcome.